Well, hello and welcome to the Digital Rabbi Podcast. My name is Sats, your host for today, aka the Digital Rabbi. And uh, it's my pleasure to get to sit down with some uh, great church leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs, creatives, and bring just some wisdom and some insights that are going to help you in whatever you are doing. So please hit subscribe, rate, review, all of that jazz. Um, I think you're going to love today's episode. We're talking to Brady Shearer. Brady's known for having started uh, Pro Church Tools. He's a content creator. Um, putting out loads of helpful content uh, for churches and does quite a lot of things. So if you've been around in the church comm space, I've uh, no doubt that you probably have heard of Brady already, um, but you're going to find that this conversation is packed full of rich goodness that is going to help you uh, elevate everything you do and all of your creativity. Just before we jump into that conversation, can I just let you know quickly about something cool coming up in January 2023? And that is that I'm hosting a free webinar on social media. Now, I know what you're thinking, social media, yeah. This is the thing that wastes all of your time <laughs> that has snuck onto your job role and uh, you kind of just post from time to time to keep up the appearances or the feeling that you're kind of doing something in the online space, even though deep down, you know, it's not really doing very much. Well, let me just say, I totally relate to what you're feeling. And uh, I know loads of people who just feel like I just got to get busy on social media and we know it's a good idea. We know we can do great things on there and reach people. And yet the actual reality just seems to be so different. Well, I've just taken the time just to pull everything I know about social media and all of the mistakes that I've made, all of the pieces, thousands of pieces of content that I've posted over the years and, and developed it into a really clear system. And I think this is going to be refreshing. It doesn't have to take up every hour of your day. I think it's going to help you um, have a healthy relationship um, and also tap into uh, just the, the potential for reaching people online, but doing it in a way that's fun and light and not too frustrating. So I would love to share all of that with you in this free webinar. Uh, you can go to digitalrabbi.co slash online impact. It's completely free to sign up. So save your seat, send on to a friend, and I would love to share that with you. Well, let's head to our conversation now with Brady Shearer. Well, hey, Brady, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Doing well, Sats. Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's, um, it's really good to have you here. I mean, Brady, you are like, you're like the face of, uh, I don't know, some part of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> You're the face of that a very, part of it. very, very small, small part of the internet. <laughs> uh, we we see your face popping up. So I imagine a lot of people uh, listening in right now, church leaders, creatives, uh, will have seen some of your content online. Maybe know a bit about you already. But just for anyone who might not uh, be familiar with you, just tell us a bit about who you are, what you do. Um, yeah. Sure. So Brady Shearer, that's me. I live in Niagara on the Lake. Ontario, Canada, uh, about an hour south of the city of Toronto. I run a company uh, called Pro Church Tools. We're a team of about uh, 15 people, and our main product is called Nucleus, which is a software platform for churches, a uh, suite of different tools, including church website builder, online giving, CHMS, uh, and uh, a number of others to help you basically, as we say it, navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. And then uh, another thing that we do is we create a ton of free content to help churches learn about the world of digital. So we have a podcast that we've been doing for uh, about seven plus years now, like 600 wow. episodes or so. So if you are into podcasts listening to this, you can just search my name or Pro Church Tools and find it that way. We have a YouTube channel, of course, all over uh, social, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and such. And then been blogging since, you know, 2013 as well. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we do. 
That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for that. I mean, t- tell us, I mean, your content is excellent. Your free content, I don't, the paid content must be really good. <laughs> the free content is excellent. Uh, how did you get into all of this? I mean, it sounds like you've been doing this for a long time, seven years on the podcast. Uh, you were right in there. Yeah, so I went to school to be a, a pastor. I have my degree in theology and youth ministry. I was quite set on doing full-time vocational ministry. Mm. A couple of years into Bible college, I started to come to the realization that I just didn't have the, what I call relational bandwidth for full-time ministry, especially in the context with students, you know, working with with kids, they need your, you know, full attention for Mm. many hours at a time. Like if you want to be a good youth pastor, as mine was to me, like invested in the kids with with your time. And I'm just so much of an introvert more of a cerebral person. Uh, I'm pretty good with people, but I have this really like, it's just a small amount of bandwidth, you know? I I run out (laughs) of that energy pretty quickly. But I loved working with churches, and it was right around that time that I was also getting introduced to digital ministry. So like Mm. pro presenter and motion backgrounds, and I was like, I got the church I grew up with didn't really have any of this. Like, this is so cool. The world of uh, creative and digital intersecting with church, and this was around 2010, you know, right Mm. when, at the very beginning of this. And so I started getting involved in that. Some of the churches around the city where I was living at the time were inviting me to create videos for them and and work on digital projects. I got hired on as the media director in my third year of Bible college uh, at the church I was serving at. And so now I was doing it uh, professionally, quote unquote, getting a paycheck. <laughs> uh, and I started looking around, you know, the peers in my, in my school and thinking, you know what, they're going to get to be worship pastors, to be youth pastors, to be lead pastors in small rural areas of Canada, and they're going to be in charge of like, we got to set up a Facebook page. Uh, we have mm. to uh, blog. We have to figure out getting the lyrics on the screen back then, which, uh, you know, these things were still really big challenges and foreign to most folks. And so I figured, hey, if I, if I can learn these things, like no, I'm, someone just gave me a camera and said, figure it out. Right. Uh, everyone else could. And so I began teaching everything that I was learning. And that's when we launched the YouTube channel around 2013. And same with the podcast, ProChurchTools.com, started blogging there. And that was the inception of what our company is today. And that really has been the through line as well. Uh, we started with creating content and building an audience and, and really talking and, and training churches. And that is still the heart of what we do today. We've gone through a number of different products. We did basically uh, like kind of agency work at the beginning uh, where we'd work with specific churches. Then we did uh, educational products, download our courses, pay for those. But then we started to think, well, we just want to give away all of our best teaching for free. So we moved into software and that was a huge, big leap for us. Building a team of devs and engineers and product designers that was, uh, I don't have those skills. So Mm. building that team and leading that team has been a really fun uh, challenge. And we're about five years into that now. Uh, Nucleus is the name of the software. Nucleus.church is where you can find it. There are more than 3,000 paying churches on that platform. And so now we're a software company. But again, still creating that content, teaching, teaching, teaching. We do that every single day. And it really is uh, what we love to do most. Yeah, that's amazing. How how did you know um, you know, what, what to do? <laughs> how did you know how to make that shift? Because there's quite a big shift from creating content, helping churches to becoming a, a software uh, company, you know, really. Um, how did you know how to do that? You know, where did you learn those sort of skills? Well, uh, similar to how I learned how to use a camera, it, it's always <laughs> happening on the fly, right? 
So there are people that you look up to. You know, I did. I, I went through like some paid online entrepreneurship classes uh, back in the day from companies. I'm not even sure if they're even around anymore. Mm-hmm. But you know, I remember when I first started Pro Church Tools, and I'd gone through this course, and you know, I was like, "Make money online," uh, <laughs> and it was legit. But that was still, you know, the big selling point. So I go to my mom, and I'm like, "Mom, I'm going to start a website. I'm going to start an online business." And she's like, "I don't know, son." And, and she was very helpful in, uh, and she was like the one that would proofread my original blog post before I could really write wow. well. And uh, she would help me with WordPress themes when I was just trying to figure that out because she had been, she had done some web design stuff back in like, you know, the 90s when it was like no all way. hard coding HTML. Wow. Uh, but she was also skeptical. I'm like, okay. Mm. But then we got our first couple paying churches and it was like, oh, wow, this is, this is real. And so, you know, you kind of, as an entrepreneur, like you have to be a bit delusional. You got to like be a yes. bit like just believe in yourself in ways that the average person wouldn't because a lot of it requires risk. And I believe in calculated risks and making smart decisions, but they still knew, uh, need to be risks. And so for software, we had about a million dollars saved from, you know, the first five years of running our business. And I was kind of forecasting, okay, what do the next five to 10 years look like? And I could kind of just feel like, the products we had as existing products, a little bit of agency work, educational courses, like there was too many vulnerabilities in the product offering that we had. Mm. Like what would happen if a bunch of our like churches just quit the agency side of things, you know, because they were paying us several hundred bucks per month, but there weren't that many of them. So like sure. if there was a big event that, you know, changed the trajectory of the world, uh, that would affect us greatly. And, you know, last year, I think we lost like 50% of that revenue or two years ago because of the pandemic. Wow. Now, at that point, that was like 5% of our company's revenue. So it didn't mm. really affect us. Uh, but if we had kept with that model, that would have been a huge vulnerability. Wow. And then on the course side of things, like you just have to keep selling new courses. So you sell one, you have a launch, everyone loves it. But now you got to come up with new content and sell it again to existing customers or to new customers if you're not able to do that, well, then, you know, you're not making any money. Sure. And so, you know, one of the, one of the values that we have at our, at our company is clear the runway. And that value is really about giving, like, our business specifically as much runway as possible and removing as many obstacles that we can forecast in the years and decades ahead so that we can keep doing what we do and what we love to do without having to make really tough decisions. Sure. Perhaps we would have had to let people go or completely change the trajectory of the company if we hadn't have forecasted the vulnerabilities within our own business and made the adjustments before the pandemic began, as an example. And so that was kind of how we got into software, you know, software products like web giving, CHMS. That stuff is pretty sticky. It's kind of difficult to get customers. But once you mm. do have them, they're not churning and leaving at a high rate. And, and so we've really built a stable foundation now with, our, with Nucleus and the customers, the churches that are paying for that software. And that gives us more flexibility to make decisions that we think are best for those churches. We're really proud. We're, we're a bootstrapped company. So we've been profitable since day one. We're not in debt. We don't owe anything to private equity, equity firms or board of executives or shareholders, mm. which means we can make decisions with those churches in mind and serve yes. them as best as we can. So that, that's a little bit of the journey there. Yeah. yeah. Wow. 
Well, that's huge. Talk to us about this whole idea of being bootstrapped a little bit, because I know this is something I've seen pop up on your your social feeds a little bit. Is this something that really makes uh, your company quite distinctive? Um, not, we don't need to talk about the other companies, but I'm just I'm just curious because I, I feel like there's something a little bit different about what you're doing. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair, and it is distinct uh, in the church world. It's distinct in software, really, because. Building software is an incredibly expensive thing to do well. And so generally, if you want to say, give yourself three to five years to build software, you need to find outside equity or have a ton saved away, like seven figures to do it right. We had the luxury of that seven-figure initial investment from ourselves because we had diligently saved it in the first five years of running our business. Um, most other software companies will have to like go to um, private equity firms or friends and family if they know some very well-off friends and family, get investment to basically allow them to build that first minimum version of their product. Mm. And the problem is, is that once you do that, and, and this is in the church world, it's also in the, uh, in the outside the church world, is that generally people that invest in software companies are looking for extravagant returns, Yes. And so now you don't have full autonomy to make decisions that are best for your users. In a perfect world, the decision for your users will also be the best decision for the investors, but rarely sure. does that happen. And so that puts you in a compromised situation because you need to build in such a way where you can, let's say, sell one day to the highest bidder or inject certain elements into your software like pricing or whatever it might be that can make a ton of money off of your customers. Uh, but again, that's generally not in the best interests of the people you're trying to serve. And so that can be a precarious situation to be in. So that's why we talk about how proud we are that we did manage to do this because we're kind of through that first five years of building software. We've been profitable this whole time. We've grown every year. We now have kind of the first big version of our platform built with you know half a dozen different products within it and uh, serving different verticals within the church world. And so you know that's kind of behind the scenes stuff, mm. right? Like a lot of times if you're a church that's just surveying the uh, products that are available to you, you won't see what's happening under the surface. Yep. Um, But what we have seen in the church world in the last five years is a ton of different software companies in the giving space, in the web space, in the CHMS space being sold to these kind of like big companies that will then like conglomerate them all together into one offering and then say, hey, the original team that built that, you're out. We paid you for this product. Now we're going to run things the way we want to run them. And, And again... The incentives there generally don't lead to great results for the people using those platforms. So we're trying to do something different in that respect. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you're really succeeding in that. I mean, yeah, the the amount of kind of apps that start free, it's a great experience. And then, yeah, it kind of moves on. Talk to us about content. You've created a lot of content um, over the years. Um, have you created content that sticks with people? Um, we're all trying to put content out there. We all understand, I suspect, people listening today that there's some value in putting out the right sort of content. Uh, maybe just some some thoughts on that. Sure. So, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is uh, what we call cornerstone content in, in our company, which mm-hmm. is where you're maybe, basically, you're putting your stake in the ground and saying, look, this is my big idea on X, and gotcha. it's usually well received when 
it goes against the status quo or conventional wisdom on that specific topic. Mm. So as a practical example, one of our big ideas and pieces of cornerstone content is that we instruct and recommend churches to not track attendance as the ultimate indicator in their ministry of church growth and health. Interesting. And, you know, I'm sure there's a subset of your own listeners that will be like, of course, attendance is not the most important thing. But categorically, as churches, that is the uh, metric that gets elevated as the one that gets tracked the most, looked to the most. And so, you know, I won't get into the whole thing. You can find it on the blog, nucleus.church slash blog, or just search the new rules for church growth, which is what that big cornerstone content idea falls under on YouTube and the blog. But that is like a piece of cornerstone content, an example, one that has become sticky. You know, another thing that I've learned in creating content over all these years, one of the maybe mistakes I made at the beginning was I felt like every time I published, I had to be introducing a new idea into the world. Mm, And so I would just like exhaust every category and keep doing different things, um, you know, list posts are great for this. Like every quarter, every three months, you can do like the 10 best X, Y, or Z for churches fall 2022. Like, so that's a way to recycle uh, content framework, but, you know, do new stuff. So I always felt like I had to do new stuff. Then when I realized as I released more cornerstone content is like, oh, it's okay to have like five big ideas and, Mm. and those ideas are unique to me. That's what makes them special. And I'll probably spend the next 10 years repeating them over and over again, sharing them on podcasts, mm. uh, finding new ways to present them, but also just saying the same thing over and over again. When we see this yeah, on wow. social really practically, you can literally post the exact same thing on Instagram as you did six months ago, and not a single soul will be upset about it. So if you yes. go into your insights on Instagram, look at your most popular posts, remember this next time you don't know what to post on a given day, okay? <laughs> go into your insights, look at like your most popular posts over the last year, and find one that was like not any sooner than six months ago, literally post the identical thing. Because if people liked it then, they'll like it now. There was probably something special about that. And you're oh, yes. wow, I wish I could recapture that. Great, just do it again. That's how you recapture it. <laughs> That's so true. I've done that. And uh, it is, so it always feels slightly wrong, like slightly it guilty. It does. Like, First time I did it. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you think... Um, because I understand from obviously your perspective as a company, you're putting out content that can serve churches. What, what can churches put out as cornerstone content? Um, because I think there is a bit of a feeling where we should all have the same sort of content. We've kind of got the same message. <laughs> but but what, how, how are some ways that we can be distinctive in, in, in what we offer um, in terms of creating content? Sure. I often talk about finding intersections between faith and culture, and those Mm. are usually the best starting points for creating content that's going to be relevant to the entire people group that you're trying to reach. So, you know, Sats here in London, you know, so whatever specific, you know, region of London that you live in, yes, there are people of faith that you want to reach there, but you also care about reaching the people with the good news and with the hope of Jesus that that are not yet connected to church or perhaps don't subscribe to the Christian faith. The ways to do that is to find the intersections between faith and culture. So a few examples of that could be uh, parenting, could be finance, could be uh, relationships, you know, dating, marriage. Uh, It might be things that relate to hope and purpose and community. These types Mm. of things that are accessible for every human being on earth 
and aren't, let's say, uh, unique or exclusive to the Christian faith, but the message of Jesus does speak to those things in unique ways. So there's one church on TikTok that I often use as an example of this. They're called One Church. You can find them on TikTok at I am One Church. They're not an especially visible or highly influential church, meaning we're not using, let's say, Elevation or Bethel or insert whatever highly influential church you are thinking of here as the example. This church, uh, they, they don't even have a single pastor that preaches. They have two pastors, one man, one woman. I believe they're married. And so they record the sermons, they record the messages, and then they find these excerpts that are specifically identifying that, those intersections, faith and culture, and then they yeah. post them on TikTok. So I've seen them do a, a bunch on dating specifically recently. Mm. And so they write these sermons, they preach them to the people in their congregation. Let's say it's 300 people. Let's say it's 3,000 people. I'm actually not sure, but that's besides the point because what they do is they then take that, they publish it on TikTok, and they have repeatedly seen videos that reach hundreds of thousands, even millions of views, which is a great Wild. example of this idea that you can reach dramatically more people online than you ever could in person. And it, it, it's such an amazing time that we're living in because mm. these opportunities are so unique. Yes, there are plenty of unique challenges to this time, but they also... Uh, that also means that there are unique opportunities. And and so it all starts with that identification. Where do faith and culture intersect? That is the place, the springboard, where you can create content that has the capacity, the potential to truly transcend your existing audience, to reach new people, and to, and to positively affect life change and mm. uh, share the good news. Yeah, I hear you. Well, wow, great, great answer. I love that. Um, and um, I, I mean, you're, you're talking there, I suppose, um, more about reaching, let's say, people who are outside of church. Do you see that social media leans that way? Uh, where, where would you kind of, you know, because uh, obviously you can use anything to do anything, but um, what would be your rec- recommendation? Well, no, I, I don't think that that specific idea is just for people outside of church. What's so great about yeah. that is that it's actually for both audiences, Because I need the good news and the message of Jesus just as much as someone outside the church. And and let's say you're doing a a, a series on relationships where you're talking, okay, here's biblical wisdom applied to modern relationships. Well, whether I'm single, dating, married, Christian, unchristian, or anywhere in between, that wisdom is going to be, again, accessible for me. And, And so... Like we can get into you know unique strategies for reaching people outside the church versus reaching people inside the church, but as something that's going to be accessible to everyone listening now, mm. you can do that identification, faith and culture. That's a strategy that works for everyone of all ages at all times, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I hear. Great thought, Brady. How do you, how do you stay um, uh, connected to what's happening? Because I don't mean in terms of like you know, latest news story. I mean, in terms of, um, everything's moving so fast and, um, it's changing. And so for a lot of church leaders, it can feel like I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to stay, you know, kind of, uh, connected to, uh, the latest kind of shift. Okay. TikTok's here. Do we need to get a TikTok account and so on? How, how do you stay personally? How do you stay connected to what's happening? And also, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier how you, you made a shift in the company ahead of time. Um, you know, how, how, what are some ways that we can navigate the di- digital space in that sense of um, not playing catch up all the time? Um, 
but uh, you know, just just living in the rhythm. Because I I think one of the the frustrations for a lot of leaders is it it can be quite overwhelming. You know, there's so much to focus on, so much to do, and it always feels like every time you go on the gram, there's just another thing I got to do. And it'll be very easy to come out of these sort of conversations thinking, oh, "Great, I got to think about culture and faith and ha- another th- uh, thing to add to the list." How do you personally? Keep, keep focused on, on, on where things are moving and, and keep the focus on the things that are going to have the most impact. Yeah, so, so many thoughts come to mind. This is a question that comes up a ton. And I truly empathize with church leaders that have to wear so many different hats, especially in our two countries where, you know, you don't have especially large churches normally. And so you have even more hats per person at church who's on staff or volunteering. So a couple of thoughts that should help with this. Number one, The change is happening extremely fast. That is inarguable. But you do have plenty of time to get on the wave when the new wave is coming. And I do recommend that you get on the wave because Mm. what happens often is that churches will resist something that's new and unfamiliar. It's not unique to church. That's human nature. What happens, though, is that they will drag their feet and say something like, I'm not getting on TikTok. It's just kids dancing. It's just like, that's not for me. By the time TikTok has matured and is like a full-fledged social giant, they'll be like, all right, well, now it's time. And they've squandered (laughs) the three years where you truly could have gained massive traction. So I have a pastor friend of mine. He lives in Hawaii, and he was serving as a youth pastor. You can find him on TikTok at Alex Wilson serving as a youth pastor at an in-person capacity, and he was interested in the internet. TikTok comes along, and he's one of the first to jump on it. And what does he do? He's just experimenting, and he's making videos about God and about faith and life, and he's publishing them. He now has more than a million followers on TikTok. It's his full-time job, and he has been able to reach like tens of millions of people and build something sustainably for himself. So not just reaching people and saying, hey, look at all the views we got. He's built something sustainably for him and his family. Why? Because he took the quote unquote risk and all the risk was, was some of his time to invest in TikTok before it was confirmed to be as big as it is. Now, let's use me as an example. I got on about a year after Alex. Because I was like, I don't consider myself an early, early adopter, like the 1%. Mm. I'm like an early adopter for social, maybe like the first 10 to 20%. Yeah. So I wait for something to be like, yeah, it's not a fad. For example, I didn't jump on Clubhouse because to me, I could (laughs) see through that that was not going to be uh, here for the long term. But after TikTok had been around for a couple of years, I was like, okay, so I jump on. What I do is I jump on, I learn it for about six months, I practice I experiment, and then I start publishing videos to churches. You can go to the YouTube channel, look at the timestamps. I believe it's 2018, and I say, church, it's time for you to get on TikTok. And I say, what you're going to do is you're going to resist this, and we're going to do what we did every time. Instagram is just for food. Twitter is just for updates about life. Facebook, why? We're all on MySpace. The internet, who needs it? TikTok, just dancing girls. You're going to say that. You're going to make your excuse. And then in a couple of years, you'll be like, how do we grow on TikTok? And I'll be like, you should have listened. So I made videos from 2018 through 21, repeatedly demonstrating tactics and strategies. The point I say this too is, one, we have to understand our our own disposition, our default disposition. We are going to be resistant to change. That's going to come naturally. You have to be aware of that and then fight that and think rationally and use evidence as much as possible to bypass your default position to not do something and ask yourself truly, 
Okay, how can I make a critical decision here and not one based on my own unfamiliarity, which is turning into fear towards a platform that I just don't know anything about? Second, there was about a three-year period where if you wanted to jump on TikTok, like I am one church, like me, like Alex Wilson, you could have done so and had a good chance of building something sustainable. If mm. you missed it, this will come along again. I don't know how many more cycles we're going to have of yeah, this. It's yeah. not going to be forever, but we've seen it now three or four times from Facebook to Instagram to Snap that became then Stories and that new wave to now TikTok. There's going to be another wave that you can get on, and I didn't finish my wave analogy. The reason getting on the wave is good is because it's surfing. You can want to surf as much as you like you can want to surf, but you need a wave to right. do it. And a lot of mm. times churches will just stand in the ocean, you know, metaphorically, let the waves crash over them and be like, I refuse to go with the wave. You can, you can do that. It's just extremely difficult and you're likely not going to get anywhere. The current will take you where the current goes. So what's better is to ride the wave, go with it for as much as you can, use it for your own purposes to fulfill the mission of the local church. And, uh, and then, Get on the next wave as it comes. And the final <laughs> thing I'll say about this, because I do have a lot to say, is that churches are uniquely advantaged in a world of content creation mm. because the weekly rhythms of church, the primary thing we do is literally creating content for a message for our weekly services. That's if you so are good. a dentist, if you are a lawyer, if you are a real estate agent, you have to contend with digital just as much as churches do. But you also have to pull teeth and sell homes and do lawyer things. Put, you know, put people in jail or get people out of jail or <laughs> sign wills, you know, whatever it is that you do as a lawyer. Churches, our weekly rhythms are so conducive to the digital world. Mm. So we can whine and, and we can make excuses, as, and you are entitled to do so if that's your prerogative. But I'd also ask that you acknowledge the unique advantages that churches have over virtually every other industry. So to recap, yeah. one, the, the pace of changes is a lot, but you do have several years to get on a new wave. It's not mm. like it's like 30 days or you miss it. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. churches are uniquely advantaged to do this. And three, I don't like to forecast into the future. There's so much opportunity online right now. You don't mm. need to generally think about what's next. Just focus on what's now. Because yes. this world is still so new that there's plenty of opportunity that exists. Don't worry about like being, you know, a fortune teller, Nostradamus, predicting what's next. Just focus on what's now. Yeah, I hear you. Would you would you say TikTok's still still a now wave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm. much like Instagram Stories was three years after it, it was, you know, hijacked off of Snap. Like it's not as easy to grow now as it once was. But the opportunity still exists there. I'm guessing mm. there's another like 12 to 18 months of good opportunity before it becomes fully like another one of the behemoths where organic traction is difficult. Then you get into paid advertising, right? Like Facebook ads is still a great option for churches to mm. uh, fulfill their mission. And perhaps TikTok uh, figures out their ad, ad platform as well. They're doing plenty of exciting experimental things there now. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Great, great thoughts. It's hard, isn't it? Because you, you put so much time and energy into kind of one platform and then, you know, it kind of dies. And then, uh, you know, like with Facebook, for example, obviously you talked about ads, but outside of that with organic, uh, we used to be posting on Facebook all the time. And then it's like, it's like your pride and joy. And then suddenly it's like, oh, no, it doesn't really matter. Um, how? So I, I imagine a big part of being able to jump on the current wave is actually being able to stop 
um, doing some of the things from before. Do you, would you say that's true? Because um, that's quite a hard thing to do because we develop rhythms, don't we? People find their fit. This is what we do now. And then we've got to kind of sack that in and, and come into the new thing. Well, it's, it's useful to make the distinction between platforms that you rent and platforms that you own. And so mm. one way to kind of protect yourself against these ever-changing platforms is to prioritize first the platforms that you own. So those two would be your church's website and your email list. Yeah. And since the beginning of our company, building our email list and having our own website has been our biggest emphasis. Mm. And, and even on social, when we do content creation, a lot of the times what we're doing, we're, we're asking and saying, hey, you know, you, we've, we've connected here on social, take the next step, join our email list by downloading this free guide or whatever it might be, because we recognize that, look, social can change overnight. The day we're recording this, it seems like Twitter might announce that Elon just bought them. <laughs> like, that is an overnight change. Hey, you're, maybe you're listening in the future and be like, it did happen or it didn't. The point is, <laughs> Twitter could like fundamentally change forever today, <laughs> literally. Yeah. That can happen to any platform at any time. Like Snapchat mm. looked like it was ready to take off and be the next company before Instagram was like, we now do stories and kind of siphoned off the momentum that Snap had. Snap still exists. It's still very popular with a certain demographic, but it didn't mm. kind of transcend to like every demographic the way the other monsters of YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok have. And so focusing, emphasizing the platforms you own, uh, that's one way to protect yourself from uh, the problem of these ever-changing platforms. Uh, and then it's also okay, and this is important, to go deep on a single platform, find a sustainable pace there, and then yes. expand. So I'd recommend, you know, set up a Facebook group, let that be your number one thing, find a sustainable pace there, and then expand to Instagram. And then mm. rinse and repeat for YouTube, rinse and repeat for TikTok. It's much better to go deep on one platform than to be shallow and interact uh, in a shallow way on four platforms at once. I wouldn't recommend yeah. like, abandoning what you do on Facebook to then go to a different platform when the rhythms change because ideally you would have built an audience maybe it's not growing as organically as it once was but you still have an audience on those platforms true. Yeah. where people do care so like we have a Facebook group that's still very active and it's not growing as fast as it was years ago uh, but it's still very active so we emphasize that and I have you know 40k on Instagram that's growing decently not like wildly but mm. that's still a very engaged group i have on there youtube yeah. and tiktok there are fastest growing platforms so that's exciting but we also have mm. existing audiences of around 100k on each of those platforms and i need to serve those existing people too and so mm. it's always a balance of uh of both things really yeah i hear you how do you how do you handle just personally um you know digital space is quite consuming um, and you got to switch off, you got to create boundaries. What, what does that look like for you? Because yeah, we can spend a lot of time on these things. Well, I do a lot of batch creation on the content side of things. Mm. So if I, we aim to post uh, a new short video on TikTok and Reels every weekday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm. So I'll record maybe 10, 15 of those videos all at once, and then we will like batch them out, batch edit, batch schedule and prepare. And so that way I'm not every day uh, overly 
invested on these platforms. You know, I also have a team that helps with some things, but I still do most of almost all of my social media by myself from content creation to having conversations in the DMs and uh, responding to comments and, and all mm. of those things. Uh, I also like that part of my job. And yeah, sure. this is something I do see churches challenged with, uh, are challenged with, is that the person who is tasked with social maybe doesn't respect, care, or like social, which we <laughs> would consider a bad decision or a vulnerability at least in other ministries. Like if I, I think we both have seven-year-old daughters. I don't think yeah. either of us would be especially interested in sending our kids to kids' church with a, a kids' pastor who doesn't like kids. That would seem <laughs> bad. And so similarly, if the person in charge of your social, like resents social and thinks mm. like it's actively harmful or just thinks that it's a fad or just doesn't have any personal preference for it, that that's tough. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and you can tell, can't you? <laughs> you, you can tell. Usually, yes. What, what, are some, what are some, just, just we'll come to a close, but um, what are some ways uh, you can kind of, because I think with church, you have this kind of, um, this weird sort of like, who's responding? Uh, so if you, me- if you message a, a church on Instagram, for example, it's like, who's there? What are some ways you've seen that work really well of how to do that so it's personalized, but it's also not reliant just on one person? Uh, yeah, have you got any thoughts there? Are you specifically referring to comments and interaction in that I think respect? So, that whole conversational aspect, because because there's got to be a certain way of talking as well, hasn't there? It can't just be, you know, it can't feel totally different. But how? What's some good ways we could do that? Sure. So we we recommend churches do two things on social. Think of these as your two responsibilities. Uh, your first responsibility is to reach publicly, and the second one is to connect personally. Mm. Social is at its best when we are connecting with real people on the other side of the screen. Now, we are very familiar as churches with the reach publicly side of things. That's publishing, that's posting. We can see that. And so we're very familiar with it. It's the connect personally element that we often miss on. And that's because Mm. that's what's usually happening behind the scenes. It's happening in the DMs, it's happening through email. And so because it's not as visible, we're not as familiar seeing other churches doing it. And so we don't recognize its importance. I will tell you now, in our audience of tens of thousands, like hundreds of thousands across all the different platforms, it's the reaching personally side that is the most important. I I got a DM from a guy today and it was like, you know, uh, one of those like spam Instagram DMs. And it was like, hey, Brady, I'm sure you'd much prefer to be working on your business than talking to me in the DMs, but I can help you do X, Y, and Z. And I thought to this person, I didn't respond. I just deleted the DM. But I thought to myself, (laughs) I was like, no, I'm, I would much prefer to be in the DMs because that's where (laughs) conversation is happening. And that's where we connect personally. That's the point of social. Like, If you think about the biggest influencers on social, they're not doing this because they don't have to and it's not the whole point of why they're online. But we as churches are different. We exist Mm. to connect. And the best part of social is when you have someone that responds to an Instagram story about prayer and they ask for prayer or responds to a post and then they take a next step and get connected to something in church that they otherwise wouldn't have. That needs to be the North Star in what we do as social. Uh, as far as how we talk about these things, like speaking casually is always a good thing. Um, don't need to take yourself too seriously 
on social. If you do, you probably won't elicit as much conversation because it might sound really stuffy or in a business world, we'd call it like, you know, corporate speak. And so being casual, speaking online how you would in person is what's going to be most useful there. But just being mindful of those two responsibilities, reach publicly, connect personally. Mm. It's such a great thought because I think that if, if, if it kind of gets left to somebody, it norm, social, it normally gets left to somebody who's a little bit media connected. Uh, but I just love this idea of the value of that relational gifting. And there's a pastoral sense there as well, isn't there? We're pastoring people online and yeah. uh, just, just taking care of people. And so um, often people are online and they're, that they're, they're looking for a relationship and they're looking for connection and they're just scrolling. And so I think that's such a powerful thought. Um, hey, Brady, thanks so much for your time today. Um, don't want to go over too much, but this has been full of so much value. Um, just maybe just as we finish, um, is there anything you'd like to, any final thoughts uh, just as we close? Well, obviously we can't cover everything in a single conversation. And so there are a bunch of free things that if people are interested, I think they can take advantage of. The first is our church social media policy. So this isn't a Google Doc. Mm. It's free to download and customize. You can find it on our blog, again, nucleus.church slash blog, or just Google or YouTube search church social media policy. It should be us that comes up. Uh, We have a similar one, church communications policy. A lot of times we see churches kind of floundering in these worlds because they don't have formal installed policy to help guide them. Uh, this yeah. is true of any organization. Like if, if you're just, you know, if you're, if you're in the water and you don't have a clear heading on your compass and you're like, this is the direction we're going, if you're just kind of drifting, you're never going to get to where you want to go. And so installing formal policies saves so many headaches. It, 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 it helps avoid personal conflict we've found in a ton of ways. So those are two free policies that you can download and install. And we also have a free forever product, um, in our Nucleus suite of tools. So this is a software product. It's a plug-in for church websites. It works on every single website. It's called the Next Steps Launcher. Uh, our firm belief is that the whole point of digital is for people to connect and take next steps. Uh, we think church websites should be invitation platforms, not presentation platforms. So we've built this free tool, the Launcher. It is a fully functional software tool, Website plugin works on every single church website. You don't need a credit card. All you need is an email so that you can log in and access and manage the tool. It's kind of our gift to uh, the church world, a free software tool that anyone can take advantage of. So you can find that at nucleus.church slash free. Amazing. Thanks so much. If people want to connect with you online, where, where should they go? There's a few things there. at Brady Shearer, is it? Yeah, at Brady Shearer on virtually every platform, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Again, as I've said, it's me and those DMs, (laughs) especially on Instagram. If you want to connect, that's the best place to do it. Uh, I try to get back to every single person. So, Yeah, that's amazing. Well, that's definitely true because we're having this podcast because I DM'd you. So, (laughs) Look, see, it's not just a front. It's true. (laughs) that's awesome well Randy thanks so much for being on today I think it's been so helpful so much value and uh, yeah let's make sure go check out those free tools there's so much free content out there Rich is going to be helpful um, as well for you so go check it out on the aforementioned links and connect with Brady at Brady Shearer on all of those platforms thanks for listening today uh, to the Digital Rabbi podcast hopefully it's been enjoyable go uh, rate, review, subscribe all of that jazz and uh, we'll see you in the next episode see you guys (music) 